the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to this special episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Most weeks we have a, a regular New Zealand Tech Podcast episode. Uh, this time we've got this special edition. This one was actually recorded some weeks ago now, so apologies for the delay in sharing this with our listeners. But this was a, a really fascinating interview with Johan Weiberg. He is uh, Vodafone's Chief Technology Officer. So great to have him visiting uh, New Zealand recently and it was fantastic to sit down and have a little bit of a chat to him about the, the future of where uh, technology and telecommunications is going. And I think there's some pretty interesting things ahead over the next few years. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, jump straight into that chat. Johan, maybe you can introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what your, what your role is and how long you've been leading the technology at Vodafone Group. Sure, Paul. So I'm, I'm Johan Weiberg. I'm 52 years old. I'm Swedish from origin. And uh, well, the reason I got into technology was that when I was 15 years old, I, I got to borrow a computer for, for two weeks. I mean, that was back in 1978. So that was before, you know, the, even before the PC had came out. So what sort of computer was it? It was a computer called ABC80. It was from a Swedish local manufacturer. And, and uh, it was quite advanced, actually. But that, that experience made me hooked on computers. So I, a little bit later on, I bought a computer and I worked a little bit with it. I went into studies. I got a master in computer science. I, I worked as a programmer during evenings and weekends when I was studying to, to support myself. And started working in the computer industry and worked a lot with something called IP then in the end of the 80s. I think we all know what IP is nowadays, and as it being the basis for the internet. Um, did a lot of that, got into management, got into sales, got into very complex projects. I was doing a lot of R&D before, got into a lot of complex customer projects. And then in 96, I moved over to telecommunications after nine years in the IT industry. What was it that drew you away from you know, traditional IT industry uh, into telecommunications? What was the draw? Well, first of all, it was that um, uh, I've been working then a lot in Sweden, and I moved over to Ericsson as being a multinational company present in 180 countries. So one thing was to work internationally, uh, experience that, travel to places. Second was that if you look on telecommunications, it's huge computers, huge computing challenges. So that was uh, something pretty fun to me. And tell us about that journey because you you in, ended up uh, in a you know, pretty uh, pretty key role within uh, Ericsson, of course the um, um, you know, Ericsson, Nokia, all these sort of companies are uh, um, have gone through a lot of change in in recent years. But how did your journey go there? So I, I worked myself up, uh, having a few different positions, ended up in the service organizations. So after a couple of years, I got head of the customer support for, for Ericsson um, in, on the fixed business. And then I got responsibility for customer support for all the mobile and fixed businesses, uh, moved abroad, worked in the U.S. for a while, came back to Sweden, uh, was asked to take over and start a new business for Ericsson, which was outsourcing from operators. We didn't have anything at all at that point in time. It's called managed services. So during a couple of years, I built up the Ericsson's outsourcing business. That's a quite big business today. Um, was asked to take over and run a, a 
a market organization. So the Nordic and Baltic countries are run that for some time. Then I was asked to move to Brazil and to be the president of Ericsson Brazil and to run that for some time, and I did that. And then I was asked to move back to Sweden. And for six and a half years, I was head of what Ericsson called Business Union Network. So it was basically... Um, all the products for building fixed and mobile networks, so everything from strategy, product management that decide what to build, the R&D organization with 18,000 people, all the, all the production facilities, all the logistics worldwide. So it was about 26,000 people. Did that for six and a half years. And, and then Vodafone came along and asked, um, do you want to come over to the customer side? It was a little bit funny because uh, uh, Vodafone, I mean, I was working a lot with Japan, Korea, North America, etc. But also Vodafone was one of the customers I was working quite close to. So, so the uh, Vittorio Colau, the CEO of Vodafone, and, and at that point in time, the Stipus, it was the group CTO. They, they were my customers. So yes, I was meeting yes. them on a regular basis and then yeah. suddenly came and asked me if I was interested in moving over. So, and uh, I couldn't say no to that. That's great. That's exciting. Now, uh, Vodafone's business here in New Zealand is very much a, a, a mix of the mobile network, which is, is you know really where, where it started, but also that uh, that fixed uh, business in terms of home and business, uh, uh, you know, fiber connections, DSL and cable, and so on. How does that differ to the the rest of the world? And and in terms of your background, how much time have you spent on uh, on mobile, and how much on 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 the fixed side? Well, well first of all, I have, we have to keep in mind that Vodafone New Zealand is one of the more advanced countries we have within the Vodafone Group. It might be a model of what we're going to see in all countries some years in the future, because you say it's both big on on mobile, big on fixed. We have cable TV. We have a huge consumer business, but also a huge enterprise business. So I think it's a little bit model of what we're going to see overall in the world. I also think it's important to remember that New Zealand is a fairly advanced telecommunications country. I mean, Australia and New Zealand has always been quite advanced. So I've seen many things here during my, my visit that impressed me, and I think the Tony and his team here is doing a great job. So it, it's been quite interesting. Personally, I've been then in, in when I was in Ericsson, I worked both on the fixed and the mobile business. So I feel I have a good understanding of, of, of both areas, as well as before when I was in IT, good understanding of the IT challenges and, and, and also the basic technologies behind it. Now, looking at New Zealand, and you know, last year we were ranked uh, at, at the top in terms of uh, mobile broadband speeds. Why has New Zealand been able to achieve that? What are the, what are the sort of key factors from your perspective? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question why you bring that up. And I think there are a couple of things here that New Zealand has done really well. First of all, we have very high fiber penetration in the whole network. And, and that's great from a performance viewpoint because it brings short latency. That's the time it takes to take traffic through the network. And we have a fiber almost everywhere in our, in our network, which is great. Then I think also Tony and his team has done a really good job on this. They have tuned and optimized the network really well. They have worked on improving um, how the various components act together, and they're very quality conscious. I mean, for instance, I'm I'm pretty impressed. On I've been doing calls back to Europe. I've been in phone conferences back to to colleagues in London. I have to say, the voice quality of calling from here back, you don't really understand that you're on the, on the other side when you're calling back to, to, to London. I mean, it's fairly long distance back to London. The voice quality is superb. So I think the team is doing a great job, and that's why New Zealand is, ranks very high up when it comes to performance. And 
Now, looking forward, you know, we're starting to see uh, some of the carriers here use their um, 4G LTE networks in for more fixed type of connections, so fixed locations, and of course Vodafone's involved in that with the uh, Rural Broadband Initiative. If that sort of usage increases you know, reasonably dramatically over time, how much of an impact will that have on the mobile uh, network, or is there such fast and constant innovation that uh, even if we pile a lot more of sort of you know fixed usage, people using much bigger chunks of data uh, within the metropolitan areas, that sort of combination of things, are we going to see the broadband slowing down, or will the technology keep up and uh, everyone will get more than enough? It's a great question. It's not always a question that's easy to give a short and simple answer to. Uh, I think so far we've been pretty good on keeping up pace. I mean, growth rate is around, typically for the Vodafone group, it's around 70% annually, year over year. And I think here, here in Australia and New Zealand it's even higher. In, in, in terms of usage? In, yeah, in, in usage, Data usage. More about 80% yeah. in growth. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And still, New Zealand is performing really well. So I think Tone and his team here, Tone is the local CTO, has been able to, to achieve that. So I think that's good. Now, there are always limitations. How you, there's some, something called spectrum, that's the frequency used in the air. You come to a point where that's not enough. There is also limitations on how much you can evolve the technology. Today we're running something called 4G. Sometime later on we're going to come to 5G. So all this is something we're fighting with. Uh, but I think so far we've been doing a pretty good job. And I mean we uh, aim to continue to be a leader and provide great experience for our customers and good speeds. Good. And how much does our our population sort of play into the performance that we get here. I mean, you know, when I spend time in the US, we think of US as being a, a reasonably um, competitive market with big players with deep pockets, but it seems that their mobile broadband speeds there are always somewhat disappointing. What are the, the key sort of differences in between New Zealand and the US? Is, is population the, the primary one that uh, allows us to get such fast speeds here? So that you have various factors. Of course, one thing is just the, the pure size of the country. And the U.S. is a pretty big country. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a rich country and there's a lot of people in the U.S., but it's an extremely big country. So, of course, it's expensive for them to cover. And the more you densify, i.e., the more base stations you have in a geography, the better performance you're going to get. And I think we've also done a really good job here in New Zealand by planning the network, making sure we have the right amount of base stations in the right areas, providing good performance, tune and optimize it together. But I also see, honestly, a great development that happened in, in, in many countries in the world with improving performance, including the U.S. But, but so we might not be at the top for too long. Uh, I think Tony really wants Tony here really wants to fight and achieve that, and uh, I wouldn't bet against that. Good, good. Now, uh, thinking ahead a little bit, well, maybe in the shorter term, what sort of areas do you see uh, the mobile broadband network sort of helping to create in terms of innovation opportunities? So innovation is very important for the Vodafone group. It's something I think we're really good at. We talk a lot about We do a lot of things. And I think in that context, New Zealand is also very good. And first of all, of course, I think New Zealand is quite far away from the head office of Vodafone. And if you are then a successful country, it's because you really have good people locally that, that are competent and really know what to do. And, and they have a lot of freedom. And... Um, 
New Zealand is so good, so it's actually one of the few, few handful of places in the world where we have something called Exone, which is then an innovation lab, um, especially focused here on, on, on ruler also. Um, and I think that's part of the proof points on, 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 um, on the innovative skills here with Vodafone. Also, if you look on the breadth of services that Vodafone is offering to our customers here in New Zealand. We have a very wide offering, everything into public safety, a lot of different enterprise offerings. We're into cable, we have TVs. I mean, a huge amount of offerings. So the skills and competence is really good here. And then I think also when you have that situation, the innovative capabilities are pretty good in the organization. So I think that, that comes through. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, Vodafone Zone and the, the Accelerator uh, is launching in Christchurch this, this year. What sort of opportunities do you think will come through that for those you know, startups and small businesses that get you know, selected to be a part of that program? What, what sort of opportunity can uh, you know, Vodafone, uh, you know, what sort of opportunities can Vodafone plug them into? So I'm, I'm pretty interested and intrigued to see what comes out because my experience is when these type of cases is that you don't really know what's going to come up and they come up things that you haven't really expected and you need to be really open-minded about what things pops up. Um, then I think you have a lot of really strong agriculture business here in New Zealand and it's really strong on machine to machine. I mean we have we have quite a lot, more than 1.4 million connections here in New Zealand on, on machine to machine. So, so maybe some of the innovations will come up in these areas. Who knows? I think that would be great. Looking at New Zealand in particular, are there um, yeah, areas that, that you think we, we're likely to be able to lead the way in? Obviously, there are, uh, there are some things, being a, a smaller remote country, that we're going to be better at than others. Are there any particular areas that jump out to you? As I said, I think you're pretty advanced with, with machine-to-machine connectivity, mm-hmm. uh, M2M. I think uh, the number of connections, considering the size of the country, I think that, that's pretty advanced. If you look on handset penetration of 4G handsets, I think among the, also the top countries there in the world on, on, when it comes to that. Um, usage of the mobile networks for first responders is also, I think, something you're talking about here that's pretty interesting, and I think you can be quite early out as New Zealand among other countries in the world. Um, so, so, uh, and a mobile network's good enough for handling sort of first responder uh, situations? Yes, I do believe they are. Hmm. I guess thinking maybe a little bit longer term... Do you have any thoughts on, on where we're going five and, and more years out and where what the landscape's going to look like when we move to that next generation, to that fifth generation of, uh, of mobile technology? So the next uh, generation of technology in mobile is going to be 5G. Uh, it will probably appear around 2020. Um, as an industry, we have sometimes hype technology talked about it before it's ready, and I think it's not really ready until 2020. Um, some are talking about it earlier. Let's see what happens. But I think our belief is that 2020 is when it would start appearing real 5G networks, not pre-5G networks. Um, the main thing here is, of course, it's going to be technology that, that's cheaper because the data traffic that continue to grow. I mean, you question earlier about the increasing data traffic. Part of that is, of course, increase the capabilities of the technology but still keeping prices down, important for us. But also applying new use cases. 5G is a technology between 2020 and 2030. 
And we really believe in a gigabit society. So that means fiber to the home is built by 5G. So 5G needs support from 2020 to 2030. You need to have a gigabit per second per person. And then you may say, a gigabit per second, who needs that? The problem is we don't need that. And so far, we have never ended up in a situation where we say, oh, that is too quick. We don't need that speed. (laughs) And considering what will happen in, in 2020, in 2030, we don't know. And five years actually said it can go peak speeds up to 10 gigabit per second. So, um, but I think that's pretty exciting development. And in between now and then, what sort of uh, you know, typical speeds might we might we see? I mean, we're getting sort of you know tens of, of megabits, um, you know, as I guess you know very common speeds uh, over four G LTE network. Um, how how much as we see you know future iterations of the of the LTE uh, networks do you think we would see those uh, speeds move up? So uh, we want to see some growth on those speeds, and here it's also it's a balance between growth of those speeds and how many people that are around the mobile network at the same time using it. So so one development in the mobile networks is just making sure that many people can do ten megabits per second at the same time. And then also that some can have peak speeds for shorter period of times that are higher. And already when we do, do demonstrations of things, we can show peak speeds up to one gigabit per second in certain cases. Now, that's not applicable in the general, in the general case, and I'm not saying it's going to be one gigabit per second short here. But you can, anyway, increasing the peak speeds. It, it comes to how much we invest in the network, and we do invest quite a lot here, but also the amount of frequency spectrum that's, that's available for us to work with. Now, looking again at uh, at five G, it does seem to be a you know, very different type of technology to you know what we have today with four G. Understand, we're going to see the communications needing to get much closer to to individuals. How how will that look in a rural sort of setting in a rural sense? What will it look like? Will we need a lot more cell towers? Or yeah, what are your thoughts on that? So one thing that's not clear yet is uh, what type of frequencies, what spectrum is going to be utilized for 5G. And it's probably going to be a combination. Yes. So probably going to start to replace 4G on some of the lower frequencies we have today, as well as adding on then fi- uh, 5G on very high frequencies, very, very many gigahertz. I mean, some are talking about 28 gigahertz as an example. Now, the way radio works is that the lower the frequency you have, the longer the distance. Yes. Uh, but then, of course, you don't get the same peak speeds. While if you go up in frequency, like 28 gigahertz, then we talk about maybe three to 500 meters. So then, of course, you need to put in much more cell towers. So it's going to be a combination of these two things. If you want really high speeds for many people, you have to build more cell towers. If you are happy with less speeds and not that many people, you can use the lower frequencies and fewer towers. Right, so it would seem then natural that you know those top speeds as they as they ramp up will certainly be relevant within metropolitan areas. But uh, you know, if you're out on a farm that's a long way from anywhere, then you might not be able to get quite the same level of performance with with five G in terms of how we're thinking of it at the moment. Or do you do you think there might be enough adjustments? going on with what can be done at the lower frequencies to uh, to still see some pretty impressive improvements so we don't know yet it might well well be as you say but we should remember that if we are in a rural area it's not as many people also but we don't know yet and i, and, and I don't want to to give any statements on things we don't know sure 
What are the biggest challenges in in running networks as, as Vodafone does here in New Zealand and around the the world? What are the what are the things that sort of get in the way? Is it uh, yeah, government regulation? Is it the pace of technology? Cost of investment? What are the what are the challenges that you deal with day to day? So, Paul, we have four hundred and fifty million mobile customers worldwide. We have like 12.5 million fixed broadband customers. We have about 10 million customers on TV. It's a fairly huge network. I mean, if you take our fiber network we have worldwide, it actually goes, you could take a fiber cable from the earth up to the moon and back and five times around the earth. That's the size. So, so sometimes cables break, someone dig it off. Sometimes a problem with a technology. And it's really is about providing a great customer experience. And overall, I'd say I, I do think we provide a really great customer experience. I think we have a good situation here in New Zealand. Because our job is to make sure that that always happens. Great customer experience. The network always is there providing good speeds, no dropped calls, etc. And, and we're not perfect. Things don't always work as good as said, but we, we see continuously improving performances. And I think we do a really good job and we continue to strive for even better performance. And I mean, I guess day to day, you're probably not dealing with too many operational things in terms of you know broken cables and you know, those sorts of things aren't uh, probably landing at your, at your doorstep unless there were some pretty uh, major issues. No, uh, <clears throat> we have actually an a, a information system, an escalation system. So and any impact that would have an impact on any, any outage, any problem that impacts at least 100,000 people, customers, I, I get an information about that. Okay. And what is the situation and what we're doing to restore it. I think quality and performance is extremely important for our customers. So I want to know if we have problems. And... I guess you you would do a, a lot of dealings with the providers of the technology that underpin your network. How far out do you tend to be looking in terms of planning, uh, you know, changes to the network, and you know, how hefty is the investment that Vodafone has to make in terms of research and development, working with those partners to decide on where you go next, what are the next changes, what are the next innovations, where do you invest? I mean, in New Zealand alone, you you spend hundreds of millions of dollars in in, building the networks. So there's some, I guess, some pretty big implications on those decisions. So we have overall got a five-year technology strategy plan that tells us what we're aiming for, what we're going to do, etc., per technology domain. So that we're executing on that. We have very close cooperation with many of the biggest telecom and networking and IT companies in the world. Uh, I, I have myself regular meetings every second, every third month with our top 10 partners, uh, suppliers that we work with. Uh, and we have deep discussions about how they're performing products to us as well as discussing coming things. Uh, and we have also a, a central team that's working really tied together with those vendors as well as other startups, innovators to identify really interesting companies to work with. So we have a pretty good view of what's happening out there in the world. We also provide quite a lot of feedback and steering to these vendors of what we would like to see that we think benefits our customers, providing a great service. Uh, and we also work a lot with how can we reduce cost, giving feedback to vendors about how they can optimize their technology to drive that down cost overall. Um, so I think we've got a pretty good view. We also participate in many advisory boards to some of our major suppliers, providing feedback to them. 
So, so it's a pretty in- interesting and fun job. You get a real good overview of what's happening in the world and everything from networking, IT, consumer applications, uh, short-term, long-term, etc. I'm lucky. I have a quite funny job. It sounds great. And you keep close to the sort of startups and, and, you know, those small firms that are, uh, uh, you know, maybe bringing some of the the groundbreaking innovation and and fresh ideas uh, to the market. How do you keep up with that? Uh, Absolutely. So first of all, we have a team that works with that. Uh, I get many emails every week from companies that say they've come up with something they want to meet with us. So we have a team looking on that. And then actually allocate some time to meet new startup companies. Um, Because they give you ideas and suggestions and innovations. So um, I think this is now middle of January. I haven't only met once innovative companies so far this were a new company this month but I took an hour met them listened to what they have to say etc so I try to allocate time every month to meet some some new people that's great now cyber security seems to become becoming something that is uh, more and more relevant to everyone from uh, person in the street you know using a smartphone through to companies like Vodafone what do you uh, see are the are really the biggest challenges around cybersecurity? I guess you know as a provider, you know, you've got challenges within your own environment, but also for your customers too. Now, security is an extremely important area, and it's really growing in relevance and importance. Um, I think it's a very complex area, quite hard. Um, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, we have billions of events actually attacking our networks. Uh, we have a cyber defense organization that's working with this. I think here in New Zealand, we have a quite strong and advanced organization. Um, but it, it's really important to, to, to be paranoid all the time, <laughs> not to relax, work on everything. And it's, uh, it's, it's not always an easy world. And I guess in different countries, there's different legislation that allows uh, varying things. You know, in, in New Zealand, I guess there's a, a, a level of um, uh, situations where maybe calls need to be monitored, texts need to be monitored. In the US, you've got, we're told that the government sets up, I've forgotten the name of them, but the um, you know fake cell sites that are that are um, able to uh, connect to to phones and so on. How important do you think that sort of thing is from a, a security standpoint? Have you got a particular thought that you can share around uh, those things? No, I mean, first of all, we need to follow all legislation mm-hmm. and, and live up to what is demanded from us. Um, it's also extremely important with customer privacy. Uh, I think we are one of the few companies that actually disclose in our annual report the amount of requests we get from, from law enforcement and the governments in each country, the, the amount of requests we get. Um, we, we, we take security and privacy extreme, extremely high. I mean, it's, 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 it's our brand, it's our customers, uh, but also very, very important to follow legislation and do what's right. Now, looking at the developing world, traditionally they've been you know, far behind from a technological perspective, um, income perspective, and, and you know, so many other things. But technology, particularly mobile technology, seems to be a really big disruptor that is in some ways able to sort of help balance things a little bit. Is that an area that you've, uh, you've looked at in, uh, in your, your roles? You've... Uh, what parts of the world do you visit and uh, what technologies have you seen that are maybe disrupting 
things in those developing countries. So I think generally speaking, one should be careful to talk about developing and mature countries, industrialized countries, when it comes to mobile telephony, because, I mean, it's the same, same base station for mobile network that goes into Manhattan as that goes into the, the DRC in, in Africa, for instance, or in Nigeria in Africa. Sure. Um, and I think it's pretty, pretty advanced. I think mobile telephony has... Um, I mean, I have a very strong memory of, of an experience I had in Ethiopia. In, an, in, I was, in Ericsson, I was part of us donating uh, some 3G base stations together with the United Nations. And I went to visit this school in the northern part of Ethiopia. You had, you had to go f- very far up out in the countryside. Um, and there we had established connectivity with the 3G base station. So... Uh, the people in that country had never been on, on the internet before, never accessed the internet. And I came there just a few days after internet has been turned off. And you know, you step into this uh, school, quite primitive school, where people have been donated computers and have access to the internet. And you should see those kids that for the first time get access to the internet, they can see what happens. So I think I've been extremely fortunate, and I think here I think Vodafone is placing a, a huge role that we've been part of bringing a mobile voice to so many people on this earth. It's 7 billion people that have access, have a subscription on this earth. And it's about 3 billion people today that can access the internet. I believe in the coming five years, it's going to be several more billions of people that will access the internet through the technology that companies like Vodafone provides. So I think it's, it's amazing. And I think it's just outstanding. I think I'm very fortunate to be part of this and this whole industry that's that's creating that the whole earth is really becoming smaller so now one of the technologies you mentioned earlier i want to flip back to is machine to machine communications or, or m m to m you mentioned about the high adoption rate of of um, technology in new zealand for instance but we don't usually see this technology or we don't know where it is we're told well machine to machine communications it's growing Tell us a little bit about how machine-to-machine communications are operating. And I guess you know, my understanding is it's, it's devices that have a, a mobile connection to the outside world in some way to you know communicate a bit of information, whether it's, a, I don't know, maybe a, a, a Coke machine that's reporting back to base to say, hey, it's time to fill me up, or, or maybe uh, it's your, uh, your power meter at, at your home reporting back on a regular basis on your usage. But what, what are the other uses, and, and where do you... Where do you see that going as the, the cost of having communications built into more and more things increases? And, uh, you know, we see the reality of, of the Internet of Things, as, as it's often called. I think you gave two great examples. Um, and I think the more and more examples is popping up, everything from healthcare, where you can use uh, blood pressure meters, etc., that automatically report results back to, to the doctor. The car industry, I think, have changed a lot. So car industry is a, is a huge business for, for Vodafone. We are providing connectivity into the cars. So um, you have all the entertainment, maps, functionalities, etc. in the cars. The car becomes a hotspot for the other people sitting in the car. They can access the internet. And also for safety, theft protection, that you, your car gets stolen. We actually have an operation center that follows where the car is going and calls to police and have the police follow and, 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 and bring back the car. 
um, so we direct where to the police where, where the car is um, and there are area after area logistics when things are being transported around animals I mean we we even have the really fun story where in, in, in the UK where there's a research project going on for seals and um, they got then a machine to machine module to put on those seals so the researchers could follow it Wow! and they were really happy with the Vodafone offering because we have what we call worry free roaming so you don't need to worry about roaming charges when you go into different <laughs> countries and these seals they swam you know from one say one country to another one and the researchers they don't need to worry about the roaming cost because that's already <laughs> included in the Vodafone subscription uh, yeah, it was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> Well, wow, so they obviously worked, worked out some way to make the batteries last and have them just sort of ping, <laughs> ping back. So that was, that was a reality that they were, yeah. they were coming up in places yeah. with their actually coverage. There's a really amazing technology innovation going on here on this. Because today, the battery life length is a problem. But mm. during 2017, we're going to launch a, a new technology supporting machine to machine that actually has the potential to have a 10 years battery life length. 10 years. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, now, one uh, one little technology we've heard a little bit about eSIMs, um, the disappearance of sort of SIM cards, so they're just uh, embedded. Yeah. Um, how far away is that? Is that going to make life a little bit easier for people? So, uh, I guess in, with the next coming twelve months, we're probably going to see eSIMs appearing in, in, in small scale. Typically, not on the phones in the beginning, but on other types of devices. So, so yeah, that's generally somewhere in the world. I don't know about the plans here in New Zealand, frankly speaking. And the, um, but basically, eSIM means the SIM card that that's really is putting that into the phone, and then creating the capabilities so you you can change um, automatically. With the help of the operator, you can change from one operator to another one without replacing the SIM card in the device or in the phone. So, of course, it will become somewhat easier when that mm-hmm. happens. Now, to finish up, I'm interested in, in hearing what are the areas of, of technology and communications that most excite you at the moment? What are the things that you're uh, really interested in in terms of what's coming up? What, uh, what, what really gets you excited? Well, it depends on from which area. If, if you look on some of the major transformation projects we are running internally, that, that's really complex, but it would be really good when we're done with it, is that we're making like a major transformation of moving internal IT and network systems into our own internal cloud-based architecture. I mean, cloud is a, it's a hyped area, etc. But it, it's a major transformation product we're going to have. It's technically very challenging, but it's going to give Vodafone and our customers good, really good benefits. So that's something we're working on. Um, then I think overall, the, the area of TV, the evolution of TV, going from being broadcast into being individual on demand, I think the whole TV industry is, is, is changing, and it's going stepwise. I mean, everyone knows about Netflix, etc. But it's changing more and more areas, and that's changing all the way that TV is being distributed. And, and as as an operator, we we used we didn't used to be in TV. And I said we have what almost ten million customers on on TV today. So, so uh, that, that's a fascinating development. And this move towards uh, autonomous vehicles—it's a big you know, topic at the moment. Um, the mobile network connection is pretty key in terms of making that work. So uh, I believe the car industry will solve it without the mobile networks. 
the mobile network can provide help and support but I actually do believe they, with all the trials and all the things they have ongoing they will solve it with, with sensors and, and, and intelligence they need a mobile connection to get the latest software release and maps and updates etc but I think it's more going to be around about sensor technology to, to make it safe enough good all right. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I just want to congratulate you having a great country. It's my first visit here, and uh, I really like it. I will want to take the opportunity to come back another time and and uh, spend some days vacation here. It's uh, I, I really been enjoying it. So congratulations. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for listening in to this special edition of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We will be back again very soon with another episode. Uh, You can track me down online on social media. I'm on Twitter at Paul Spain. You can also contact me directly if you'd like to get in touch anytime via email, paul.spain at podcasts.nz. And you can find my company, Gorilla Technology, online at gorilla.com co.nz and that will link you up with Guerrilla Technology New Zealand specialists at uh, proactive and strategic technology services for small to medium organizations. All right, that's us. Catch you soon. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.